0: This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of, you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that that helps patients with diseases. Life 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 saving. Well, I'm really psyched up right now to introduce our next guest. Uh, Randy De Silva is a biotech founder and scientist who co-founded Forge Biologics. Forge is a gene therapy development and manufacturing company headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. She serves as the senior vice president of product development, overseeing the pipeline of disease-modifying AAV-based therapies for rare genetic diseases, automation initiatives, and new therapeutic product planning. She has over 12 years of experience in discovery research, therapeutic development, and partnering. She holds a PhD in molecular biology from Princeton University, and a BS with honors in biological sciences from Stanford University. She has an outstanding and strong commitment and track record in building and managing diverse and innovative workforces all focused on uh, bringing new therapeutics to the marketplace. So welcome to the show, Arandi.
1: Thank you so much for having me, John. So happy to be here.
0: My pleasure. Um, maybe we'll jump right in if, if, if that's okay. And maybe just to set the table for our audience, uh, it would be great if you could um, talk first a little bit about what Forge is doing. And for for our audiences, in, in certain cases, maybe learning about some of these new technologies, if you could also provide a background on the field of gene therapy and, you know, Buzz terms like AAV, what do those mean? If you could kind of uh, talk a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. Happy to do it. So Forge Biologics is a young company. We founded this business in 2020, launched with a Series A investment uh, in July of 2020 with three co-founders, our first employee. And today, just over three and a half years later, we are at over 330 employees, We have a 200,000-square-foot facility here in Columbus, Ohio, and we are really exquisitely focused on accelerating access to these fantastical new medicines called gene therapies. And the particular flavor of gene therapies that we're focused on making, you know, right out of the gate, focusing on one specific type is this subset of gene therapies called AAVs, or adeno-associated viral vector gene therapies. And the reason we're focusing on that is because they have been proven to be safe in the clinic, they are you know, well used in clinical trials, administered to over 4,000 patients at this point. And really, we are focusing on breaking down the barriers in terms of access to manufacturing these medicines and helping to drive down the cost of manufacturing these medicines so that we can really help our clients, biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies, to get these medicines to clinical trials faster and then onwards to commercial stage faster. And the way we do that is we have built a large facility here in Columbus. We have 20 GMP manufacturing suites. And we have a talented, very technically skilled team focused on making these medicines, making them at scale, uh, making sure they're pure, safe, effective for clients. And the model that we have is really this kind of two-part business. Most of our company is focused on contract development and manufacturing for these AAV-based gene therapies, so CDMO. And the other part of our business is focused on really leveraging that CDMO capability to develop our own therapeutics pipeline to show that we can move some of these products faster to patients through our own development and leveraging our own teams and capacity to do it.
0: Yeah, that's outstanding. Very exciting. I I recall, you know, when uh, Forge was founded, um, you know, and, and the progress since is just amazing to hear about. Um, the traction you've had in the marketplace and the breadth and scale of the capabilities that that you have. You know, gene therapy, uh, you know, as a as a transformative, you know, treatment option is relatively new to the field. It is. Um, it would be interesting to hear your commentary around kind of what led us here and why are gene therapies maybe more useful for certain diseases than a traditional, you know, chemical compound, you know, or, or an antibody that, that has been used in the past for other kinds of diseases?
1: Yeah, for sure. So gene therapies really are addressing genetically driven disorders, typically. So that means a lot of rare diseases fall into this category where, you know, you may have a mutation in a gene that causes the absence of a particular protein or an enzyme that ultimately causes a very severe disease in a patient. And what a gene therapy does is come in with, depending on the flavor of gene therapy that we're talking about, um, and in this case, in an AAV setting, we're using a viral vector, an AAV, which we have emptied of its infectious potential, and we have packaged inside it a working copy of the gene that is missing in a patient's body. And so we're really using these AAVs as a shuttle to deliver a working copy of that missing gene back to these patients. And what's so transformative about them is that you're really addressing that underlying cause of the disease. You're not trying to fix some symptom. You're giving back what's missing. And some of the pioneering medicines in this field have really shown how transformative the potential of these medicines have been. So a limited number of them have been approved by the FDA. Uh, I think it's three approved in the US today, AAV-based gene therapies. And the the transformative potential has really been borne out in those populations through the clinical studies that those companies have completed, as well as now in the post-approval phase. Just impressive, um, really targeted therapeutic uh, efficacy of these medicines. And so that's why we are really bullish on this field. We are excited about the potential of these medicines. We want to help expand the access to them. And one of the bottlenecks in the field traditionally has really been, it's not easy to manufacture AAVs. It's not easy to manufacture viral vectors, and it's not easy to do it at scale. And the, the technical training that you have to be able to make these medicines, the space, the capacity that you have to have to be able to do this is rare. And we happen to have a lot of experts in this in our company. And we thought, you know, being gene therapy developers, how can we help to address this problem and build a company to really focus on this problem and, and try to do things in an efficient way and perhaps in better ways than we have seen them done in other past experiences.
0: As you build that team, uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I, observe, you mentioned kind of infrastructure is a gating factor um, for commercializing gene therapies. And that could also perhaps be said about other biomanufacturing uh, modalities like cell therapies uh yes. scaling also involves not just and you've touched on this not just the infrastructure and the um you know the FDA approved facilities you know for for GMP manufacturing that you know are are um, need to be impeccable and and well designed and well managed but the other element of it is the talent and the and the people you touched on that being kind of a, a core strength you know as you got forge up and going and as you've grown and Built this, uh, you know, large and growing team. Can you talk a little bit about whether this field will offer potential new employment opportunities for a broader workforce with different skills? Uh, you know, when I think about a typical biotech company, it, it's it can can be founded often by the the scientists. Certain times in the academic <laughs> setting, you know, it's the professor and and maybe a graduate student. Um, so it's very high, high technical focus, you know, PhD level uh, folks involved in getting it going. Um, one of the constraints, though, I think for a successful biotech company that's bringing a new gene therapy to market is not only the infrastructure, but it's access to talent, being able to scale fast enough. Can you comment a little bit about your observations on, on that and maybe touch on uh, the, the uh, complexion you know, of your workforce as you've grown and evolved?
1: Yeah, I think key to this story and and how quickly we have been able to scale is a couple of things. Uh, One is that core foundational leadership team. So our leadership team has deep experience in gene therapy. So a lot of connections, right, that we bring to the table from our former companies and a lot of credibility that the team brings to the table in terms of trust built up over the years from former colleagues, former employees, and really being able to leverage that to quickly recruit talent, whether it's from local or perhaps even national relocations. So I'm really proud to say about 55, 60 percent of our company has actually come to us from internal referrals, right? So people asking their friends and family if they want to come and work for Forge, and we have had about 23% of our company relocate from outside Columbus to Columbus to join. So even though we are outside of a traditional biotech hub, we have really been able to grow and expand this business based on that credibility and prior, perhaps, trust that we have built up over the years working in this space. So that's critical.
0: Absolutely. The other
1: The other component to that is, you know, we have built a really strong culture that has helped us to recruit because we are very patient-focused, very client-focused, and really appreciate that that has an impact on the types of people who want to work for us. And that's really helped us, again, to recruit from locally, but also from beyond Columbus.
0: Yeah, it's such a mission-based organization, you know, and and a focal point at the end of the day, on on helping patients and those diseases you refer to, you know, are previously untreatable diseases, you know, with these d- genetic disorders. So it's remarkable to hear about the culture and the purpose that you have at Forge, you know, being able to essentially um, self-reinforce, you know, the the growing the growth and scale of the company with individuals that at the end of the day are all focused on, you know, the mission to to help a patient and uh, and all that goes with that, because, you know, bringing a drug to the market, as you pointed out earlier on, any kind of drug, but certainly a gene therapy and um, working with viral vectors, is, it's a complicated process. And, you know, there's always kind of ups and downs in that journey of, you know, getting a drug made and ultimately approved by the FDA. So, you know, it's biotech is a long game and finding people that are really motivated by that end mission to bring a product, you know, to the patient is, is a key, um, component for why you've been successful so far and getting up and going and, and moving downstream. One thing I'm curious about, um, is just how you got here. You know, what, what has your journey been? What were some of the early signs for you that you wanted to, you know, get involved in, um, in the sciences first, you know, and, and, you know, pursuing your, your PhD and, some of the work that you did prior to and after that, Um, what were some of the motivating factors, if you wouldn't mind sharing for the audience, you know, that kind of got you into the the pathway in the first place?
1: Yeah, this is the fun part, the story of how I got here. Uh, So I have always dreamed of being a scientist that is more in the translational versus the discovery. And I think this can really be tied back to growing up in Botswana. Uh, which is uh, a Southern African nation that, at the time I was growing up, was going through a huge HIV epidemic. And so what I saw around me was uh, a lot of scientists and epidemiologists and doctors coming together to try and get a handle on on that epidemic and really turning the tides, right? And it was just so inspiring to me because I saw how technically trained people can really impact patients' lives. And I just wanted to do that. Mm. And the way that I thought that I could do that was to get the best training that I could, uh, go and get my PhD, because I thought that you must have your PhD to be a scientist. Um, I was very naive, but um, you know that, that was kind of what set me on this path. So I came to the U.S., did my undergrad, did undergraduate research so that I could apply to PhD programs, got a spot in a graduate school, did research so I could get my PhD, went on to do a postdoc. And, you know, I thought that all of those credentials would really help me to become a translational scientist. And I envisioned my whole life working, you know, to be about working in a biotech company making medicines. And I think where where it kind of, took an unexpected turn was when I moved to Ohio in my postdoc. So I did my postdoc, and I envisioned my whole career being at a biotech company in the Bay Area, which is where I did my postdoc, uh, industry postdoc at Genentech. Um, And my career took an unexpected turn when I moved to Ohio uh, with my husband, who is an academic uh, who works at Ohio State, a professor. and I moved to Ohio with him. What is it? Eight years ago now, and really, there wasn't a whole lot of biotech for me to join here. And so I really had to evaluate. Okay, what am I going to do here that doesn't really fit in with my plan to become a, you know, translational biotech um, scientist, right? And. In retrospect, I think the the next job that I took and uh, the first job that I took in Columbus really helped me set up for what I'm doing now. Um, and that was to join Ohio State University and to work in a translational incubator at the university. So I was one of the founding scientists there, um, led the, you know, setting up the institute there. It's called the Drug Development Institute. And what we do is we spend a lot of time getting to know various research projects going on in different professors' labs. And we think about how to roadmap to um, really develop a product out of their research, right? And to help professors think about how they can pitch those ideas, that research, those concepts to potential investors or potential partners. So I got experience in, you know, really talking to different kinds of scientists. I got a lot of experience in Pitching, I got a lot of experience in product planning. So really setting up a development plan to have milestones that we can reach in a reasonable time frame, fund with a reasonable amount of money, um, to reach a go/no-go decision, so that we can really progress projects in more of a um, what I what I think of as a more industry focused or industry mindset um, type of plan and at the same time i also got really integrated into the local startup scene here and met a lot of entrepreneurs doing a lot of different things in mostly device companies health tech companies and because of that network that i had in the startup community here that really helped me when the time came to you know look for the next opportunity jump into a startup company in gene therapy that set me up on the path here to Forge, to founding Forge.
0: What a journey. That's that's amazing. Just thinking about retracing steps and, you know, from that initial inspiration to where you are today. You're fulfilling your early expectations. You kind of, you know, it's, it's exactly where you want to be, but albeit through a much more circuitous path the than what you expected. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's what keeps life interesting, too, along, along the way. Um, I'm curious, just peeling back the onion a little bit more around your experience at Ohio State, some of your observations um, as you got up and going there, clearly the kinds of things that you were able to kind of experience there have led to, you know, your success in your current role. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening in the region or what at Ohio State? And one, one observation maybe as a precursor to that, just overall, I think that um, the biotech ecosystem talent pool is distributing uh, beyond, you know, the concentrated areas of, of Boston and the Bay Area. Certainly those areas continue to be center of gravity and will continue to grow and succeed um, and, and, and uh, re- recruit, attract, and retain great innovative people. But there's a greater uh, subset of those people that are going to other places uh, as these universities are <laughs> really, really trying to attract these individuals because of the outsized impact they can have on the eminence of the university, the financial success of the university, as these types of innovative faculty oftentimes can um, generate, you know, philanthropic uh, funding. They can be involved in translational grants that you know, are becoming more and more important beyond basic basic science. And so one observation is that, you know, there there's an emergence, you know, of uh, new ecosystems that are developing around really strong, you know, academic infrastructure, you know, that are you know beneficiaries of a lot of NIH funding, and and therefore you know get are able to attract a lot of that faculty. But getting that that faculty base to stay means you need stuff going on. Like like you, you needed <laughs> to find you know beyond your husband's role, you know, in as a professor, you needed to find something that was a fit for you and enough critical mass going on. So I guess all that to set the background for, you know, what what are your thoughts around what's happening in Columbus now and kind of what are your thoughts around where it's going, I guess?
1: So I think of, um, let, let's compare Columbus to RTP, Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. I believe we are, but we look like maybe what RTP looked like 15, 20 years ago and look where it's at now today mm-hmm. there it is a new biotech hub there is a critical mass of companies there already and so many new startups and big companies relocating or starting up offices in the area so i think columbus is one of those places you know really anchored by some strong technical universities and having all of this industry burgeoning around it from startups spinning out of local institutions so I'm so excited to be part of this region and showing that we can build this up from the ground up. And it really starts with, as you were saying, the strong research and technical base that's here. So we just uh, did a quick analysis and we learned that in RTP every year, the region graduates about 2,500 life sciences graduates. The Ohio State and Columbus region graduates eight. Thousand. Hmm. So it's more than three times the amount of just life sciences graduates graduating from here than maybe 10, 5, 10 years ago didn't really have anywhere to go, right? They had to go to the east or west coast to get a job in industry. And that's really changed now in the last eight years that I've been here. In the gene therapy industry alone, We have maybe created about a thousand jobs locally in the gene therapy industry alone across four or five gene therapy companies that have come onto the scene in the last five years. So just one industry, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those graduates now have options between these companies, but also for their families, right? right? And I'm just excited to be a part of this, I mean, I, I think one of the unexpected things about being a scientist and in biotech and, and you know, you think about having translational impact on patients, but one of the fun things about being an entrepreneur and starting a company is creating jobs, right? Like, maybe it's something I, I never really thought about and the impact of that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's amazing to me that we have created so many jobs in the region that is not a traditional biotech hub. And just the excitement of people, you know, applying into our company. We had 10,000 applicants into our company last year, you know? It's
0: crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm not I'm not surprised myself, you know, kind of sharing your journey being, you know, maybe part of other emerging ecosystems and, and watching kind of this transformation that's happening. Uh, but on the other hand, that scale really puts it in perspective. And I like your comparison to RTP and I wonder if you could further maybe elaborate on your, your vision for, I don't know, the next five, 10 years for the region, you know, and, and, and maybe it's just a continuation of what's happening already, but are there core themes when I think of RTP, um, today, uh, a lot of those startups do have a theme around biomanufacturing in some form. Mm-hmm. And I know like the state has invested heavily into um, special training programs, incentives, you know, to try to uh, be that place. You know, there's there's this economic development component uh, at, in, in North Carolina that is also making it easier, you know, for those types of uh, companies to, to locate whether it be, you know, land, you know, an adjacency to, you know, a live, work, play environment uh, or incentives, you know, that allow for this training to to happen. So the workforce, you know, is there to, to be able to do the work that's required as these gene and cell therapies, you know, get to scale. Talk a little bit about your view and vision for Columbus and is it kind of along that same vector, if you will, uh, on on the uh, gene therapy or cell therapy front? Or do you see differences as well?
1: Look, I think, you know, these companies that have started up here in the last couple of years maybe have been on the leading edge of getting this industry off the ground, starting this biotech hub. But we cannot continue to sustain it and grow it to the vision that it can be without that local and state-level support. And so we're very grateful to be partnering really closely with um, the city that we are located in, which is Grove City. You know, they help with things like, as you mentioned, the workforce development, approvals for our construction projects, getting the word out about us, also just being a great place to live, Mm -hmm. you know, right around our... Facility, just a great place to live and work, and then partnerships with those state-level organizations that can really help to not only lobby across the state level and help lobby across the different companies in the region, but also help lobby at, for us and on our behalf to the federal government, right? So we have partnered closely with Ohio Life Sciences, which are which is our Ohio um, trade organization for biotech. Um, which has really big plans and big visions for leveraging what's going on here in biomanufacturing and expanding upon that and helping to build that infrastructure around the funnel of talent, recruitment of talent, and helping us to incentivize other companies to build here and see and help grow this region.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh, that's kind of what I'm observing as well, you know, just in the general press, looking at a lot of activities um, spearheaded by uh, some of the organizations you mentioned, you know, Ohio Life Sciences in particular. What, if we switch gears a little bit kind of back to the, you know, looking ahead on the science side, what do you see as the challenges as an entrepreneur? You know, there are many, as you said, fulfilling components to starting something up and the, the idea that you know you're creating something that wasn't there before and and now there are others that are carrying on the mission mm-hmm. um, in a manner that's aligned with your your original vision probably taking in directions that you couldn't even have imagined in the first place what are some of the challenges though that go with that it's not a uh, it's always not a straight line to, to, to success any comments around Things that you find. Oh, so many, John. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, so I can start with just you know contextualizing how we even or when we even started this business, and it was during the COVID pandemic. So we had our first meetings with our first foundational investor um, the week that the entire state, the entire nation, shut down in March of 2020 for the COVID pandemic, right? So we have been building this and recruiting talent, operationalizing a business, building out space during, I mean, most of the pandemic, right? And recruited 330 people during this time. So some of the nuances to that are, you know, you have to make some big bets when you have supply chain constraints, right? So planning ahead, Um, Ordering supplies well ahead of time so that you can be sure that you have the inventory to serve the clients that you want to support in their manufacturing. Um, Structuring the talent acquisition and workforce and training so that people can be on site but operating safely. I mean one of the other challenges that I did want to talk to you about John is you know your podcast is called Lab Rats to Unicorns okay and I would just like to specifically focus on what it's like to be a bench scientist and then to transition to being an entrepreneur right and some of the inherent challenges that you have just because you know training as a bench scientist means you are focused in on the details, you are planning experiments, you are deep in the science and communicating with other scientists. But being an entrepreneur means taking that 50,000 foot view, setting the stage for the strategy of a company, tying the research to the development and the, the overall goals of the company and where it needs to go. And communicating that vision very effectively often to non-scientists right so so much of our training as scientists is about how we can effectively communicate with other scientists who understand the basic terminology the alphabet of science if you will but when you're an entrepreneur you're pitching often to investors who are not scientists or to you know the media Or to the public about concepts that are non scientific, that are scientific, but that they may not understand in that same technical detail. And one of the things that I always work on is how I can effectively communicate. And so anytime I am looking at very technical data or or science, I'm always thinking about okay, how would I explain this to a non scientist? Because inevitably, I have to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I think it's one of the, the 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 one of the most difficult things in that transition that you're describing. You know, kind of going from that scientific mindset into, you know, trying to take that bring that idea to life, um, and and all the different audiences that you're going to need to talk to about getting on board and supporting you in that journey and that you need people with many different types of backgrounds whether you're recruiting a new talent with different backgrounds or you're pitching to different investors that have different motivations and sometimes even within the 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 same team at a venture group there could be some people with a md phd but a person that's not a scientist and so how to speak effectively so that you know your vision resonates one of the things too i wonder if you uh can relate. Uh, w- w- one of the challenges I always feel is, um, on the one hand, you need to be uh, r- good at the tactical elements, especially as you're getting up and going and and just mm-hmm. executing. Um, and and that's a lot of details. It's complicated. You talked about making a big bet, you know, and and taking risk. That's a huge part of it. And kind of having faith that you know the things that you are sketchy right now, you'll be able to fill in the details along the way. But always each day you're executing and, and you, you're thinking about what are the things that need to get done this day, this week, this month, so you stay on your overall vision. But then connecting that in the same day, you know, going from one meeting where you're talking about those very important details that need to get right, and then you're going into a meeting where you t- need to talk about the big vision and the long term and, and the future of the company. That's a really hard thing to balance you know in, 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 in being that you know that that founding entrepreneur what what are your thoughts on that? I'll tell
1: you a secret I before I speak, I usually have thought about what I'm going to say before I speak
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And when I have told people that they're very surprised and to me it's essential. <laughs> Because, as I said, I can be very technical, and I'm trained in that way, and I pay attention to the details, and I really relish the scientific details. I mean, I, I lead an R&D team here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I have to be in the details of the R&D. But I'm also always thinking about how I can translate it and explain it later, so usually by the time I'm in that next meeting, I have actually already thought about how I would be ready to answer to a non-scientist or be ready to answer to executive management. You know, give that summary of what I just reviewed or saw yep. or read ahead of time. Yeah, And I've had to be pretty deliberate in trying to train myself to be ready. And so as I'm... Digesting the information, I'm actually always trying to break it down and think about how I will communicate it better. Well, next- it's
0: interesting um, too. Just hear, hearing you talk, and you know, kind of, um, you know, you, you've you've built yourself along the way. And I'm just thinking about, you know, your growing up in Botswana. Is your family still there? I mean, you're a pioneer. I mean, in so many ways, it's a lonely journey. You know carving this path and the creative element that goes with it, I can see that's a very stimulating part of what keeps you going. Um, But does it get lonely on that path too? Especially, you know, I mean, my family's all (laughs) nearby, Um, didn't, didn't need to, you know, leave a country and get started somewhere else. I mean, for your journey to really get to where it is, um, you've taken some really big risks along the way, both on your personal and on your, your business um, and scientific career path. Does it feel lonely sometimes and how do you cope with that loneliness?
1: So, my amazing pioneering parents still live in Gaborone, Botswana, in the same house I grew up in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they themselves are on, you know, immigrants and pioneers. So they left Sri Lanka hmm. to go and find jobs and build lives and careers outside of their native land, wow. right? So I am maybe Immigrant Squared, <laughs> because I am the child of immigrants who is an immigrant myself. Yeah. I think it made me fearless in terms of, and, and of course they helped me to think in that way, that, you know, don't be afraid of leaving so that you can pursue the, the things that you want to pursue. So it felt in some ways very natural to me to leave and pursue the best education that I could get in America. But yes, it was incredibly lonely. And especially those first couple of years in undergrad, you know, you're on the other side of the world, literally halfway around the world from my parents. And I didn't know how to navigate some of those cultural differences. Um, You know, for the first time in America, Americans are very confident and individual and have opinions about things that they can share freely. I know these are generalizations, but, you know, this is this is what I observed. And I didn't understand how and where I fit in in all of this. So those first couple of years were really hard as I tried to build myself up and tried to cope with the academic rigor that I encountered when I joined college. That was very different than, you know, a small school in, a small high school in Botswana. So... It has always been a journey, and it has always helped me to also appreciate how much work you do have to put in behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, the stuff effort. doesn't come out; doesn't yeah. just come easy. Yeah, you got to put the time in for sure. Yeah, you got to be fully immersed as well. What and you know, just kind of looking forward. Um, you know, our audience is you know listening to you and hearing your inspiring story. And you layer on top of that, you know, you're a woman scientist, you're a woman um, leader, you know, in the biotech field. Um, that's also kind of makes it even, you know, e- even more swimming upstream. We hope that's changing. And maybe that's my question is, are you, do you feel uh, and do you see the impact you're making kind of on the next generation that people can see uh, people that, that 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 are following in your footsteps that are watching your journey and, and are able to. Kind of move ahead um, because you know you've you've kind of uh, paved the way for them.
1: So multiple layers to unpack there. <laughs> mm. I believe that just by being here and showing that it can be done, that has impact. So I definitely carry that with me and in, in how I conduct myself and conduct business. Um, so I I love to show that. A woman can be very technical, an immigrant can be here in this role as an entrepreneur, Um, and a woman can be, a woman immigrant can be in leadership roles and even founding a company. The feedback that I get has been incredible um, from day to day interactions with people who I work with, to former colleagues, to people at home in Botswana. so I get that feedback and it helps to motivate me to do more and to show that I'm fearless, even if I am quite fearful of something. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I really take to heart is the fact that I have this platform now as an entrepreneur, as a founder of this business, to open the door for others and to help bring more women or more people from different backgrounds. It doesn't have to be women to To show them and and help guide them to get here someday. And I don't take that lightly, you know. So yeah, we have, alike. I have helped to lead. You know, I'm the executive sponsor for um, the She Forges. It's called She Forges, which is the women's employee resource group for Forge. Fifty percent of our company is women. I'm really proud of that and has been for, you know, from. Three employees to 330, and also spearheading and and helping to onboard our DEI diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives in the company so that it isn't just showing by being here in this role. It's also putting in place pieces, tools, structures that help others to get here.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. And, uh, and it, it's, it's going to be exciting to watch the next chapter, you know, as forward forward here, um, <laughs> we, <laughs> maybe be, as we close, you know, what, as you look ahead, you know, look at the next decade, what gets you the most excited, you know, about the field, you know, gene therapy, what are, what are areas that you get really psyched up about with regards to kind of keeping your eye on that North star of, you know, getting a, um, an important product to patients? Are there any things that you can share that are top of mind for you as to the next decade and what it might hold for um, impact coming out of the gene therapy world?
1: So when we founded this company, one of the taglines or mission statements for the company was, we want to build a company that is enabling access to gene therapies, with the key word being enabling, or maybe enabling access. And That was when this company was, you know, a bunch of PowerPoint slides, right? So now, three years later, when I think about what does that mean to be able to enable access when we now have a big facility, we have manufacturing ongoing, we have clients, we have processes in place to make these medicines cheaper, more effective, sorry, more cost-effective, faster to get to develop, what does that really mean? What can we do to enable access? So it has me thinking now about how can we make things more efficient, more robust, more scalable, more make makes put in solutions that can help bring these medicines forward to, to not just patients in the U.S., but also to obviously, you know, Places like where I grew up, Mm -hmm. where some of these medicines simply are too out of reach Mm -hmm. in terms of cost or accessibility, right? That's what I'm looking ahead to. That's what I'm going to help build. And that's what Forge is going to be at the forefront of.
0: That's so exciting. Yeah, well, um, I'm, you know, the future is bright. I'm looking forward to following the progress and watching you continue to execute on your long-term vision. Um, and, you know, I, I see your determination, um, your willingness to put in the effort and recognize the time it takes and the challenges you're going to have to tackle along the way. Um, those are all, you know, very clearly um, resident in your, your uh, own, you know, compass and, and the way you guide yourself. And so I'm really excited to watch your progress and, and I'm very excited for patients downstream that not only here but around the world that can benefit from your hard work.
1: Thank you so much for that, John. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labrats2unicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.